Welcome back, everybody, to The First Step. It's me, Jill Sachak, here today with Judy Malcolm. I met Judy through the yoga world, and I can't wait to have this conversation today. We're talking about meditation. And Judy is a certified meditation instructor and has been meditating for over 20 years. So I can't wait for her to share with us more about meditation. So thank you, Judy, so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. And I I thought in preparation for this conversation, I thought, oh my God, I'm really going to have to keep my mouth shut because this really is one of my favorite topics. So I'm going to try to let you um, have the mic for most of the time. So why don't we start with, um, tell me what you think meditation is or what it isn't, because sometimes people have an idea of what meditation is and, and, and I often, you know, feel like I'm kind of myth busting what it is. So let's hear your version of it. What is meditation or what isn't it? Um, Well, I think a lot of the myths are, are around that you have to stop thinking about when you're meditating and in actual fact, our brain doesn't know how to do that. It's like asking your ears to stop hearing or your eyes to stop seeing when they're open. Um, so uh, it isn't that you have to stop thinking. So I think that's the biggest myth that people still to this day hang on to. I can't meditate because I can't stop thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I just had a woman this week come to me and um, that's exactly what she said. I've been trying to meditate, but I just can't. I just sit there and all I'm doing is thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. That's what the brain does. That's for sure. So I agree. That is definitely a misconception that that the brain will stop thinking. I, I completely agree. It does not stop thinking. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that there are lots of different types of meditation. And in the Buddhist world, um, the, the one that I teach is the very basic meditation that you need to be able to do before you kind of move on to other types of meditation. So <clears throat> I think, you know, that there's walking meditation, loving kindness meditations, there's compassion meditation. But um, what I say that it's not, it's like someone might say, oh, every time I had someone say this, when I make my homemade soup, I'm meditating. And as much as it is meditative, perhaps, it isn't really meditating it's a it could be a very beautiful mindfulness exercise but it it isn't meditating so i i kind of want people to understand that that um you know there is a there is a process for meditating and it's very valuable so do you want to describe for listeners how you meditate so um what the kind that I teach is, is called a shamatha meditation. And shamatha um, is Sanskrit for peacefully abiding. And so that is, and I use the words calm abiding. So 
it is being alongside yourself in a peaceful and calm way. Um, and so with Shamatha meditation, there is a mindfulness of the body. So your how you sit is important. Um, the mindfulness of your breath, which is the anchor where you're always going back to, and the mindfulness of your mind, which is those uh, constant thoughts and stories and planning and perseverating and ruminating all the things our mind is really good at doing. <laughs> so it's it's mindfulness while being in touch with those three components. Body and breath and mind. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds very similar to the kind of uh, meditation that I practice is called Vipassana meditation. And it is at its essence, although when one learns it in the traditional way, I think you would begin with Anapana meditation, which is just simple awareness of breath coming and going. But in time, you use the framework of the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes observing different sensations in the body. And that's what I was kind of my response to that woman who who arrived to my studio this week with that comment that she, her mind is too busy to meditate. That's what I was trying to describe to her is that although the thoughts are going on, what meditation practices in my mind is allowing those thoughts to carry on, but putting our attention, focusing our attention on the body and the breath and realizing that we do have a choice to interact with those thoughts and get involved with those thoughts, identify with those thoughts. Or if we choose to have a meditation practice, we begin to see the power behind attention, focus, awareness, because if you try, you can witness thoughts, you can witness the top of your head, you can witness the feeling in the palms of your hands, you can witness the beating of your heart, you can witness the breath coming and going, and you start to, I think, through meditation, begin to be in touch with this thing that is witnessing, that is observing, which is not thought, which is not the brain. And then I think we start to realize we are not our thoughts and we can mm, detach from them a little bit and have some freedom from them. So apart from that, liberating ourselves from those incessant thoughts or identifying with them, what else would you say are some of the benefits from you know, having a meditation practice? Well, certainly it's person, it's personal, like everybody's, um, how it affects them or impacts their life can be different, but there are some common things that see in with research, um, besides, and I'm not I'm not a science person, so I gaze, I glaze over when it comes to people starting to talk about um, different hormones in your brain and the amygdala and the hippocampus and what all of those do. So I I won't be able to speak as intelligently or artic, articulate about those, but 
research has shown that it does affect your brain. Um, it it definitely it sharpens your atten- attention or your ability to pay attention. Um, it certainly with consistency it has. Uh, you have the ability to be much more resilient to stress. And I think that was the biggest impact for me is that I was in a very stressful, not, I don't mean stressful in a negative way. I just mean stressful in terms of an, it was an intense, busy, fulfilling, rewarding job that consumed me. But because I practiced meditation, I was able to even I used mindfulness at work and I meditated at work and I even taught my staff mindful moments at our staff meetings. I incorporated it as much as possible and that calm abiding helped me continuously throughout. So, um, that definitely was one was is I think for me a big one, and the other one is compassion. Um, it it does uh, the more you meditate, somehow the more you feel, and the more you feel, the stronger that compassion, that muscle of compassion gets strengthened. Mm-hmm. So, and I certainly have noticed that. And the other thing. Personally, for me, I haven't read it so much, but personally for me is um, I I was certainly in all my readings that I've done, um, your ability to be light and non-judgmental and almost with humor uh, meditate because it is a it's not something that's serious and it's not something that's heavy and it's not something that's, um, you know, to be, uh, I mean, if you're a a staunch Buddhist, yes, there's doctrine and all kinds of things involved, but um, so I'm, because I'm able to be less judgmental, of myself and almost laugh at myself a little bit more in a loving way, I am able to do that for other people too. So I'm, that has become much more a natural thing, less judgment of folks in my world, less and more humor and lightness. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting when I listen to you talk and, you know, what occurs to me is, and back to kind of what we think meditation is or isn't. I think, you know, when people sometimes come to meditation or hear about meditation, we we have this idea that it's going to be about, you know, this feeling of levitation or reaching the state of nirvana or seeing all these beautiful colors and, you know, this feeling of bliss. And But I think the reality is the process of of learning how to turn your attention inside <clears throat> the kind of the stages or processes that people go through when they start to close their eyes and begin to pay attention to the subtle processes within us, like breath, like perception of sensations, 
um, <clears throat> like witnessing and observing thoughts is what we begin to realize and recognize with our own experience is that we are not these things. We are observing these things with a a deeper place within us. We can watch the body. We can watch our thoughts. We can watch the breath. And I think what that does is it it gives us a little bit of space, a bit of a gap between who we've been identifying so strongly with for so long. You know, it it lets us recognize that the stories we tell with the thoughts are just stories that the things that, you know, we identify with our anger, our resentment, our fear, um, our anxiety, our depression, that, you know, whatever emotions or thoughts arise, we are not those things. And I think prior to meditating, we don't actually know that. We just, we feel so identified with our thoughts and our stories. So when I hear you talk about the benefits, I think that that's what really kind of, I hear it's like, it helps us to liberate ourselves from these stories, these emotions, these, Mm -hmm. these patterns of thinking. And we realize like, we're something more than that. I mean, maybe that's a small piece of us, but we're actually something more than that, which is, I would say much more beautiful, much, much more loving. And as you said, much more compassionate and, and also, yeah, it, 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 helps us to not take those pieces of us so seriously and we can start to yeah have a little giggle about about all those stories that we tell yeah and it, i think too by as you say kind of witnessing our thoughts um there is that sense of what once you really are able to do that the sense of freedom from it because you see it, see them for what they are. And, you know, it, everything from the thought of, uh, oh, I forgot to um, take my ironing or my stuff out of the dryer and now I have to iron it to more, the more kind of, Oh, I wish I hadn't have said that to my daughter. She's, I know she's upset with me. And if I'd only said this and maybe I should call her. And if I did this and da, 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 that story thing. Or for me, it was always when I was working, especially it was planning. I start planning things and forget that I was sitting and meditating. I was just planning all kinds of things. So, so all those but once you recognize them and see them, you it, it is kind of humorous, really. And we are, I am able to just let them go. And, you know, I use one of the analogies I use is like a cloud floating from the sky, across the sky. And their thoughts, off, another thing I use is um, like when you're in an elevator and there's music playing in the elevator, it's so mundane such mundane music (laughs) that you don't even hear it it's there so it's the same your thoughts are there but you don't you don't have to listen to them Mm -hmm. you don't have to pay attention to them and also the difference with 
uh, Shamatha meditation is you meditate with your eyes open. And um, you do have a very soft downward cast gaze. Um, and the idea behind that is the reasoning is very much about being awake and being present and being aware. So um, that is, and also because if you meditate when you're fatigued, guess what happens? A lot of the time you fall asleep. And so keeping your eyes open, but relaxed and not focused on anything, but just having a soft, open gaze, kind of allowing light in, but you're still, you're very present. And I think that's a really important thing. It isn't necessarily for what I teach about going inside as much as it's just like that calm abiding. I am here and I am doing what I need to do right now, which is absolutely nothing. Yeah. That's an yeah. interesting point. You know, I remember um, a long time ago, like over a decade ago, somebody said, mentioned to me that they meditate with eyes open. And I, I thought, wow, that's a, a different concept because, you know, in, in the Vipassana tradition, eyes are closed. And and also, you know, in the, in the Vipassana tradition, at least until one gets established in, I think, that inner awareness or that inner focus, there are suggestions such as keep the eyes closed, such as meditate inside versus outside in the wind or outside in the sun. Or, mm-hmm. um, And I think, you know, I think there's different ways to learn meditation and different ways to practice. But I would of say- course. That is, for me, at least in my experience, and I have since then, you know, I remember at one point, I let my eyes open at a, in a moment when I wanted to kind of quit meditating. I don't know what what jumped through my consciousness or my subconscious that kind of, you know, sent me out of my inner looking and my eyes opened and I thought, well, I'm not going to get up. I'm going to just keep sitting here and observing what's happening. Like I could, I was witnessing kind of this urge or this impulse to stop meditating, but I just let my eyes stay open and continue to just scan my body and stay with my breath. And I think in that particular sitting, I did let my eyes close again and I did let my eyes open again. And and i think it's a it's an interesting point to touch on because i think the eyes do when they're open although you're saying a soft gaze you know you're not necessarily letting your eyes jut around the room but there is stimulation right there is this kind of like that's a tree that's a butterfly oh there's wind out there you're 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 picking up on information from outside of yourself so i think it could be a effective way of challenging ourselves to continue to notice what's going on in the body while I have that sense input. But I would say if, you know, if you're just starting out meditating, I just personally think it would probably be one last thing to contend with if you close your eyes and you don't have that sense stimuli. Would you want to talk a little bit more to that? 
Yeah, and certainly when I've taught meditation to other folks who have meditated previously with their eyes closed, they find find it quite difficult at first. And um, I have some, you know, tips for kind of getting over that little hump. But because your eyes are cast down and because you there it is a practice to softly gaze luckily I wear glasses so I can take them off and everything is slightly fuzzy anyway (laughs) I mean of course I can still see trees and and whatnot um but it is a a way of um just allowing it's a good practice even if you're just sitting um at the supermarket or you know I'm not the, the supermarket's not a good example like a doctor's office where you're sitting waiting for a while to practice just having your eyes cast down uh, about six feet ahead of you but slightly down um, and just trying to allow light in but not look at anything so it it, it, it is a practice for sure but I um, the other thing is Um, for trauma-informed practice, there are people who are not comfortable closing their eyes. And it's a a fear thing and very understandable. And so being able to meditate with the eyes open um, is more doable for people who have had that kind of situation. I've certainly met several people who thought they couldn't meditate because they had to close their eyes and they were not comfortable closing their eyes, even alone. I mean, yes, you have to go to bed and go to sleep, but being during the day, that wasn't something that was comfortable. So that that's another kind of sidebar. It certainly, I'm sure, wasn't the Buddhist intention of that, but certainly it it has helped people that find it uncomfortable. That's a good point. Yeah, let's talk about a couple other things that maybe will will open the idea up for anybody listening because I think people do have things that they say like, well, I can't meditate because such as like, well, I can't sit on the floor and my back hurts too much or I can't cross my legs like that, my knees or my hips hurt too much. So um, do you want to talk about some of those other challenges that people might have or reasons that people state mm-hmm. why they can't meditate and how, what would, what would you say to them? Well, certainly there's, there's always some barriers and distractions that, you know, those two things. And physically I don't sit cross-legged. I do sit in a chair, um, but I, it's not like a lounge chair or a recliner. I'm sitting in a very, like almost like a kitchen chair um and um my back is not leaning it's it's erect and part of that is is just that it's there to hold my body up and um kind of uh, bring that strength and stability to the posture so that you can sit for a fairly long period of time uh, i've also um got an, a, a 
I don't know exactly what they're called, but it's a kneeling meditation bench. So you're, you're, you're on your knees, but your, your root, your um, sit bones are supported by a bench. And so your feet are tucked under you, but you're not kneeling on your knees, putting pressure on them. So that's another position that I've shown some people and they found it successful. And certainly there, there are, I try to teach my clients about finding a place that's your place, wherever it is in your home that you can kind of hold sacred as your place to meditate. So it's not something you have to set up and take down every day because I, quite frankly, if I had to do that, I wouldn't meditate. And um, having it be pleasing and having it be comfortable, those are all things that help with meditation. So I think, you know, those are kind of barriers also um, time. That's always a big one. And certainly I can attest to there's there are days when I I don't meditate because for whatever reason, I don't, I just don't have time in the morning or I slept in and then I've got something else. So that something else has to take priority. But you'd be surprised how many people would find washing dishes and vacuuming as more of a priority than meditating or, you know, scrolling on Facebook or uh, any other social media as more of a priority than meditating. But, um, you know, there's a saying, a Buddhist saying, if you don't have time, if you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, then you need to meditate for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So it's, you know, time, it, is important but that but what i had i'd mentioned about consistency um for the benefits you really need to be consistent and even if it's 10 minutes seven days a week you'll get way more benefit out of that than doing 40 minutes on a sunday mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's it is something that it can you can do it in small bites and still have it be effective, which I think a lot of people think that oh I've got to a stop thinking b I got to sit I I I'm fidgety I can't sit for that long and and you know c I I just I don't have time there's there's I, I'm busy all the time so but if you look at things there there's always time you just have to put it in front of you. Yeah, prioritize. Yeah, I agree with everything um, you said. And maybe I'll just add, um, like when people do present those excuses to me why they can't meditate, um, often what I'll say to people, well, just start, you know, even just start with 60 seconds, make a practice of putting your body in any position, standing, sitting, lying down. I'm not saying that standing or lying down is ideal. I think sitting is ideal. I would agree with you that sitting up from your chair is important, but if you can't lean back in a chair, if yeah. you 
have to lay down. If you want to start standing, I mean, break your own excuses. And if you don't have five minutes, start with one. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing that I think is important for people to hear is I do believe meditation is like anything, learning how to swim, like riding a skateboard, learning how to cook, like you name it. It's like any other skill um, you, you grow your ability by practice. So I don't think anybody arrives to meditation and is like, oh, this is easy. I love sitting here and just watching my breath for an hour. Like nobody starts like that. <laughs> so I think it is kind of a muscle that you flex. And, and so if all you can do when you begin is watch one breath that comes in and then watch one breath that goes out. And then you realize like, dang it, I'm distracted again. Now I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch. Then that's very normal. And instead of getting frustrated to just bring your attention back to breath, if your intention is to sit for 60 seconds and you made it for three seconds before you get distracted, just start again at second number 10 and watch your breath maybe come in and out twice or in and out three times. And you notice you get distracted. Know that that's normal. Realize you're distracted. And as soon as you become distracted, just begin again. Notice your breath coming and going a couple more moments. And if you do that consistently from day to day, you will see that your attention and your focus does grow just like your ability would grow if you practice cooking or skateboarding or swimming or any other skill. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have to start somewhere. And in the beginning, I think everybody's experience is relatively the same, that what they experience is an inability to focus, an inability to hold their attention within their body. And that that's very normal. And all, you know, the only way to get better is through practice. Absolutely. And those, you know, the breath, I think, is the most beautiful thing that we have to focus on. And 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 I really use that as my anchor for many mindfulness um, moments in my day. I it's my touchstone. So and it and it isn't so much about for me it's about the sensation of breathing. So, you know, it's not a, there's lots of different breathing techniques and they're fantastic. But for this meditation that I do, it is about just like feeling my back expand and contract, feeling my belly move out and in, feeling the air go in my nose and down my throat and out again. Just those sensations that we probably don't even pay attention to in normal day-to-day -day life. We don't even notice it. So it is about noticing it and about feeling it that I think really grounds you and is, makes it easier to let those thoughts come and go. Mm -hmm. And as far as time goes, you know, I like when, when I have clients that want to begin learning something like, you know, breath awareness or meditation, I, I often say like, just start with two minutes, start with three minutes, build up to five, build up to 10. And, and I think there is something that happens when we start to 
meditate for longer periods of time, like half an hour or one hour, I think we start to go deeper into, you know, pulling up more of those subconscious, unconscious patterns and and help to, you know, let them pass, let them be released. But do you want to talk to a little bit about, yeah, like how long should people meditate for or some, some discussion of, yeah, the length of how long you meditate? Yeah, and I think um, along with that comes um, routine. Like, so time of day is important only to your own personal practice. For instance, when I was working full time, I meditated when I came home from work. I didn't meditate in the morning because um, I had so many sleep issues. I could never count on me getting uh, being awake early enough so and I enjoyed how I felt afterwards because I really felt I shed the day I came home I changed into comfy clothes I grab a glass of water I kiss my husband hello and then off I go so uh and then the time is the same thing it's personal if you can only do 10 minutes Monday to Friday on your work days, and then maybe do 20 minutes to a half an hour on the weekend when you have a little bit more flexibility in your time, do that. But I, I do say, you know, 10, 10 minutes is probably the minimum once you once you're learn, once you've learned it. I'm not saying start with 10 minutes because for some people, 10 minutes feels like an hour. It really, really does. But I think I think you you should be able to manage between 10 and 20 minutes per day is a really comfortable. It's not over the top. So that and definitely picking that date time of day and trying to stick to it when whenever that is. I have a client that she meditates before she goes to bed and it helps her with her sleep. So um you know, those, as long as you get to that place and have build it into your routine where it makes sense for your own personal life. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think we do allow uh, things to get in the way of these practices that really bring us so much health and wellness and mind and body. Um, For myself, I'll just say this for listeners. Um, what I've found is that if I don't do my mindfulness practices in the morning, often life does get in the way. So I've for years now just made it a practice to get up before everybody else in my house, depending on what's going on for my family, that can be as early as 5am. Sometimes it's more like 6am, but I always give myself a couple hours before everybody else is getting up so that before I have to tend to any other responsibilities I am tending to myself, my inner world, my breath, my body. Um, and I do meditation, yoga, and writing before anything else so that nothing in my day can get in the way of those practices. And that might sound incredibly disciplined or regimented to to some people, but Otherwise, what I found for myself, even if I did say like, well, after the kids go to school or in between my classes or before dinner or before bed, 
I just found I would make up excuses. So that was the thing that worked for me the best, but I agree. I don't, I don't think there's one way to do it, but, but, you know, just that you do find some space and time in your day to consistently practice. Did you Mm want to say anything else about how life can get in the way of, yeah, these practices? Well, I, um, I think just it, it is a self-care thing to do. And the more you can put yourself as a priority for those things, um, and really, you know, take, take it seriously in, in that self-care is a seriously important thing. And, especially for women it is very hard for us to put ourselves first but if you can <clears throat> take 10 minutes a day uh, i think um and not look at it as a thing to tick off your list <laughs> you know it, it just that it's a thing like brushing our teeth or having a shower it's important for your self-care. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's lots of other barriers that, that come up for people and um, we, when I teach, that's why I, te- I teach them for four weeks straight is because it come, those things come up. And so then we talk about them and problem solve around them and come up with ways to um, work around things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, oh man, I hope I can hold this in my brain. Two things that are kind of coming up when you say that one being, I agree. I think these practices are a way to take care of self. And then I think when we say self-care, sometimes we get this image like, oh, spa day or getting, you know, something that's really enjoyable and relaxing. And then I just feel like I have to mention that these practices, you know, as I see them, they are very restorative. They do renew us. They definitely, without a doubt in my mind, bring us back to a state of health and harmony. But on the journey while learning them and while tending to all these things that we have kind of covered up for years or decades. I also think that one thing that can happen when we start these mindfulness practices is that we actually stir up a lot of difficult and old pain patterns, difficult and old emotions, difficult and old trauma. So we say self-care and I think it's just worth mentioning, sometimes self-care implies and requires us to sit with and be with the junk, the mess, the pain, the difficulty. And although it is uncomfortable sometimes, although it isn't always pleasant, I would still say that is self-care because we're actually giving ourselves a chance to release that stuff. Yes, it surfaces. Yes, when it surfaces, it's uncomfortable. Yes, when it surfaces, it is painful, but it is part of the process of releasing it. So that was one thing that came up when you were talking. And the other was, I think it is also a very valid point that when you are learning these 
mindfulness practices, self-care practices, that you are working with somebody you trust, somebody that has experience. And over a period of time, as you say, over four weeks or a year or decades, you know, depending on how close you become (laughs) to your mentor or teacher. But I think that piece of it is also very important that you are working with somebody or a community, a mentor, a teacher who knows what they're doing and can kind of hold you through those challenges and check in with you and somebody that you can turn to if questions arise or difficulty arises. Did you want to add anything to to those responses? Oh, I really appreciate both of what you said that that self-care is isn't like you say just about going to the spa or going out for tea with a good friend but it is it is a, 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 like I said taking it seriously it is and in terms of time and effort I think that a lot of people that have come to me to learn how to meditate have tried to do it on their own and then end up saying I can't and lots of people learn how to meditate on their own and and kudos to them but I I had to have somebody to teach me um and luckily this person was a beautiful soul and very gentle and very um compassionate with my difficulties and my wonderings and my questions and it but it helped make me go on this path in a more confident way um and it has stuck so it it does have merit to be in community or in um relationship with someone who can really support you and and that uh, that other barrier uh that I was I had forgotten was that you get the support of if there's other people that live with you in your home, that you get the support of them that you're doing this because they need to respect your need to have a little bit of quiet, to have a little bit of space and to have a little bit of time. So um, I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Yeah. And that can be a tough one. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's the other thing that comes up when we do start to move in the direction of taking care of our own health and wellness is that often before we can do that, sometimes we do run into these areas of our lives where we realize we have these habits or dynamics or relationships or patterns that are that are an obstacle to health and wellness. So that is can be definitely a part of the processes. Um you know, facing them and having some of those difficult conversations around boundaries or respect within the household. So, mm-hmm. um, Judy, I will definitely link your information in the text um, description of this podcast. I will also, so if people do want to get in touch with you to to learn more about what you're doing, I will also link um, the Vipassana courses that anybody can access anywhere in the world. There's courses all over the world. Um, I highly recommend them. And maybe just as a final question or thought, um, what do you think are the benefits or, you know, kind of the ripple effects of meditation when one does establish a a consistent and ongoing practice? 
And I think I'm glad you you asked that question because to me, uh, that's one of the more beautiful things about meditation. A, a meditation practice is that um, there's a thing in, in Buddhism called dedicating the merit. And basically that is about knowing that what you are doing, this meditation practice that you are doing, uh, first and foremost, it's it's the merit is to yourself. the 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 benefit is to yourself. But in in that, there is this subtle ripple effect. It's like the pebble get that gets thrown on the still water. There is this because you're building your compassion mu- muscles. You're building your um, non judgment muscles. You're building your calm abiding all of those things can't you can't help but have them affect the people around you it's so subtle they're not going to say hey i you you've changed like you're not they're not going to see that in a you know two weeks down the road but but over time you do build that and it helps with how you respond versus react to certain things and it and it changes your perceptions of the world in in my opinion and certainly i've felt that and lived it that that is to me um one of the most beautiful things that we can do for our earth is is uh meditate more (laughs) because it does have that beautiful effect for others. Completely agree. I mean, sometimes when I, you know, I don't often even look at what's going on in the world anymore. It's just too crazy. No, No. I catch glimpses, you know, if I, if I catch some glimpse of some political conflict or scandal or you know like even like a little piece of the parliamentary process and I just think to myself you know this is never going to solve anything and often what's occurring in my mind is like you know if we would each take responsibility for what's going on inside and really get honest about what goes through our mind and what goes through our heart what we would realize is that that violence anger um greed comes from inside. And until we, each of us do this kind of work, I think we'll continue to see it out there in the world. And I would completely agree with you that if we do want to make change in the world, if we're one of these people that are looking out and thinking, yeah, this is crazy. How can we bring about more peace, harmony, and and love and equality in the world? I think, you know, the way to do that is from changing ourselves from inside. And I I completely agree. I think therefore it ripples out into the world through how we act and how we treat people. So I hope somebody or or everybody listening to our conversation today gets inspired to to give meditation a try. As I said, I'll I'll list some links to help people get going. And and thank you, Judy, so much for being my guest today. This was a wonderful topic to share with people. Thank you so much. I, um, Jill, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about one of the most wonderful things that I'm passionate about. So thank you. And I 
I bow to you and the work that you do. So thank you very much for being that special place in the world where people can go to. Thanks. Thanks, Judy. And thanks to all the listeners. May all beings be happy.